This is Susanna Hills Podcast. We hope this message becomes a revelation in your heart and will encourage you to live a Christ-centered life. Thanks for checking out our podcast. Here's today's message. Good morning, guys. It really is a great privilege for me to be able to share with you this morning. Just And I want to say thank you for coming out. You know, I have a men's group on a Tuesday morning at 6 o'clock. And then I have one on a Thursday morning at 6 o'clock. So, um, from, and I tell you, I reckon those are two of the sweetest times in my day. It's, uh, it's about 12 guys, two rangers, you know, in, in one session and in the other session. And I want to echo what Gareth says, there's something special about men getting together, being real men, talking about real issues, and um, opening their hearts and their lives to one another, you know, and encouraging one another that hey, you can take on the lion, you can take on the bear, you can face these giants. You're able in God to be able to break through to what he has got for us. Amen. And um, so I want to talk a little bit about that today. Um, for me, just one of, the, one of the men in the Bible that I really wanted to um, model my life around was, was David, King David. And... Uh, I think, it's, I think it's a good case study for all of us to look at. And um, I think I have shared this with you before, but uh, towards the end of his life, David, um, the last words of David, I want to start there. 2 Samuel 23. This is what it says, eh? 2 Samuel 23 verse 1. These are the last words of David. The oracle of David, son of Jesse. The oracle of the man exalted by God most high. The man anointed by the God of Jacob. Israel's singer of songs. These are the last words of his life. And he is now describing himself. Are you with me? How would you describe yourself if you were David? Think of his accomplishments. Huh? Killed Goliath. Killed a hundred Philistines. Not a, the king wanted a hundred Philistine foreskins for his wife, for his daughter. He took him two hundred. Imagine killing two hundred men. You only need to kill a hundred. He killed two hundred. <laughs> you know? <laughs> I mean, it's like he establishes the kingdom, builds a, builds a pal- gets a palace built, plans for the temple. Masses silver and gold. Sets up worship. Brings in the tabernacle. Brings in the ark of the covenant. The presence of God falls. You know, there's many ways this guy can describe himself. You know, son of I mean, father of Solomon. Going to be the wisest man that ever, ever lived on the earth. I mean, I know I've got, I've got four kids, and you know, I'm so proud of them, and I often talk about what they're doing in God. Doesn't mention this stuff. He's he. I want to read it again. This is how he defines himself. Uh, come on. Son of Jesse. Hey, I'm, just, I'm Jesse's son. I'm a, I'm, a, I'm a son in the house. David understood sonship at a level that I think not many men get. And we need to understand that. So, son of David. Sorry, David, the son of Jesse. Watch this. The oracle of the man exalted by God most high. 
I honestly, I think David lived with this, with this understanding. Is this loud enough? Is this good yeah, Gareth? He lived with this understanding. God promotes. God exalts. I, I am shocked at my striving and my need to be someone or something and get ahead and worried about, you know, my destiny in God and, you know, all of the things that I'm going to fulfill for the Lord. I'm sure you, some of you can identify with that. It's, we want to be significant. And it's, I don't think it's bad to be significant, but it's like when you understand sonship, then you understand you've got a dad, man, and he digs you. And he wants you to be significant. Are you with me? Am I right? All of us as fathers, we're positioning our sons and our daughters so that they can be the best that they can be. And if they just relax in that and they just follow what, we've, what, what that we, we together with the planning, it's going to happen. And then, so that's exalted. Eh? A man exalted by God most of He didn't exalt himself. And then this, the man anointed by the God of Jacob. So not just exalted, but even as he gets exalted, even God gives him the position, the power, the authority, the ability to do that. Where does it come from? God as well. Isn't that beautiful? So God puts you there, and then God keeps you there, and he sustains you. You know, uh, Dudley Daniel says, well, the anointing is God's divine enabling to be who God has called you to be and to do what God has called you to do. Isn't that beautiful? David gets this. He just gets it. And then the last one, listen to this description. Israel's singer of songs. I don't see one mention of worship here. I mean of warrior. Hey man, I am a worshiper of God. I'm Israel's singer of songs. What my life, all of my life, I've wanted to exalt God and worship God. And when I was killing Goliath, it was worship. When I was doing this, it was worship. My whole life existed to glorify God and to exalt Him and to make Him great. Isn't that beautiful? That's the kind of heart that, that I want to have inside of my life. You know, that the entire existence of my life, God has been glorified. Now watch here. Verse 2. The Spirit of the Lord spoke through me. His word was on my tongue. Now listen to what the Spirit of God spoke through David. The, the, the God of Israel spoke. I love this. The rock of Israel said to me. You know, this, this image of Christ being our rock. On this rock I'll build my church. You know the story? Um, Moses speaks a lot about how God was Israel's rock. I remember being at the Hillsong Conference 2016, about 50,000 people or 60, I can't remember, in this indoor auditorium. And I'm sitting in this section one evening and that, um, the, that, the, that was when they released the Jesus album. And I'm sitting in this group and I don't know why, but we were positioned with all these Asians and literally they're this high. <laughs> I'm serious, it's not even funny, you know. And I'm, we're worshipping and I'm hearing these Asian voices singing around me and it sounded like angels. I'm serious. I was like caught up and I was like, oh, I can't believe this. This is amazing. And then I had this picture in my spirit of, of me on a planet. Okay, but the planet was a rock. 
and my feet were like welded to the planet. I don't know, you know like it was like the, we, I was one with the rock. And it, it, I was flying through space on this rock, but it was a planet, not just a rock, you know. And I tell you, I realized that I was on this mass. And you know, this, this momentum was unstoppable, unshakable, indestructible, eternal, and it's moving. And I like that, that's the, when you, live, when you build your life on the rock, when you build your life on Christ, you are part of an unshakable, unstoppable, immovable kingdom that is advancing. Yeah. You, 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 so since we are receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, let us worship God with reverence and awe. And I honestly believe that David didn't have this as a verse in the Bible or a promise on his wall, but a reality and a foundation in his heart that he ruled from. You know, do you understand what I'm saying hey guys? And I, I, and I tell you, I, with everything inside of me, I'm going to pursue that position. Because when I look at David, and I look at what he did, and I look at how he took on things and situations and circumstances, I think to myself, the guy was fearless. And I, and I have to draw this conclusion. He, he had no fear when he knew he was doing what God wanted him to do. Because he was trusting that God was going to exalt him and God was anointing him and it was going to get done. And we're going to look at that in a moment. Are you happy with that? Now listen to what he's... So this is who's speaking through. He hasn't even told you. He's just telling us who God is. Are you with me? The Spirit of the Lord spoke through me. The God of Israel said to me, the rock of Israel. Now listen to what he says. When one rules over men in righteousness, when one rules in the fear of God, what is he like? He is like the light of morning at sunrise. On a, cloud, uh, on a cloudless morning, I mean, I've seen some beautiful sunrises here in, in Thlokstorp, and even the sunset last night was quite beautiful, you know, because there's not a lot of clouds. And you just feel that, you know, it's cold, but what's it like when you stand in the sun and those first warm rays just hit you as the sun started to warm the earth? It's amazing, isn't it? My friend, David is saying that as a husband, as a business person, as a, um, as a, as a, as a father, as, a, as a, a man of God, that when you rule in righteousness and in the fear of the Lord, that you are like those first rays of sun that just hit people and warm them and bring life and faith and hope. And it's like that Jesus in you is rising and they say, wow. And then the second picture is like the brightness of the rain that brings grass from the earth. Now, you know, I don't know if you get a lot of pollution. I don't think you get too much here in Clarkstown. But in Johannesburg, you know, often you, you'll drive into Johannesburg from this place in winter and you'll see a green haze. Have you, have you seen the green haze I live in? You know? I wonder, then I now know why my snot is green. <laughs> sorry. Anyway, but it's like, <laughs> sorry, it was a tough statement. But it's like, now what happens is just after winter, those first rains come, hey? And, and all of that rain just pulls all that down. And then, and I th I'm th in my picture, I'm thinking at my, in my house, I've got this beautiful big front lawn. And when the gardener cuts it, and it's rained, and then there's this haze is gone. And I walk out and I go, Tio! 
everything feels fresh and beautiful, you know? And that's what God, David is saying. Listen, if you live like this, that is what you like. I want to be like that. You want to be like that. So I have given you a definition of the fear of the Lord, but I want to give it to you again. The fear of the Lord is this. It's an attitude that acknowledges one's entire dependence on God for everything. And that apart from Him, I can do nothing. Let me say it again. The greatest definition of the fear of the Lord. It's an attitude that acknowledges one's entire dependence on God for everything. And that apart from God, I can do nothing. Now, Jesus himself said, I tell you the truth, the son can do nothing by himself. He can only do what he sees the father doing. He can only speak what he hears the father say. Okay, so Jesus, David's testimony, Jesus' testimony. I'm living in the fear of the Lord. Jesus says to us in John 15, I'm the vine and you're the branches. Apart from me, you can do no thing. Nothing. Now, of course, we could do a whole lot of stuff. There's Steve Jobs, uh, Bill Gates, uh, Elon Musk. These are not men that profess to know Jesus. But when you look on earth, they've done a lot. But my friend... What have they done for eternity? What have they done that's going to last? You understand? I was watching this Elon Musk thing and he's on, he was literally talking about how he, you know, he's a very intelligent guy. So he looked at all religions. He looked at all philosophies. And basically his conclusion is this. He's doing interplanetary travel and, inter, and he, wants to, he wants us to become an interplanetary species so he can understand the universe and know why it exists. Bottom line, that's what he's doing. This was his pursuit of God. He's pursuing God and meaning of life and existence. And he's using all of his resources to discover that. And no problem with that, but it's like, but he's missing the whole point of life. We have life. We have the author of life. We know the author of life. And the author of life wants us to live in relationship with him. Isn't that amazing? You know? The wisdom of God, the, the, the highest wisdom of man, the Bible says, is foolishness to God. And God's foolishness is greater than the least, the, sorry, not the least, God's foolishness is greater than the best of man's wisdom. You know? So now, to me, that's, that's important. So I want you, so now, I'm just giving you that as like a thing because I want to look at a couple of stories in David's life that... Show us how this guy practically lives out righteousness and the fear of the Lord. Do you understand what I'm trying to say? Because we as men need to understand that. Now, one other thought before I get there. What was David first and foremost, before he was anything else? Where did he come from? Yes, a shepherd. And I reckon, hey guys, this understanding that David had of a sheep to a shepherd is the foundation for everything else of his life. We're seeing the end of his life here and we're seeing what he's telling about himself and the pinnacle of it. And then we see his exploits. But I, I, 
I, I can guarantee you that the foundation of his life that was able him to do what he had called was this understanding. The Lord is my shepherd. And I shall not be in want. He makes me lie down in grease patches. He leads beside me still waters. He restores my soul. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Why? For your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Amen? Um, surely goodness, love and mercy will follow me all the days of the Lord and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. That's Psalm 23, written by David. And it's not something that he was aspiring to be. It was a reality of his life that he panned out for us. Now think with me. Now, you with me there so far? Now connect that. Okay, so go and study Psalm 23, thinking, yeah, is a king that God took from being a shepherd who looked after sheep. And David had this ability to flick that understanding into his relationship with God. That God is my shepherd and I'm his sheep. That he is my rock and he's the foundation of my life. So therefore, I know I was a good shepherd. None of the sheep had to worry about grass. None had to worry about water. None had to worry about rest. When I was their shepherd, I would find the green grass for them. When I was their shepherd, I would take them to the quiet waters where they could safely drink and not drown or fall in, no crocodiles. I would find them a pasture where they could lie down without the fear of the wolf because while they were lying down, I was watching over them with my sling and my staff and my rod and I was playing my harp and I was looking for the wolf and the bear and the lion. And when they came, I put myself between the lion and the bear and the sheep and I protected them and I took those things out. And, and goodness, because I was their shepherd, goodness, love and mercy followed their sheep all. They were good sheep that produced babies all the time because they had a shepherd watching over them. And God is my shepherd. Why should, can you see what I, yo, it's a revelation for me. Now, if you can live there, in your business, in your marriage, in this church, and you can just learn to follow God, and his leading, not striving, not stressing, not, you, you know, I'm telling you, it's the, I believe it's the secret to living the life that God intended to us and to be the men that God called us to be. Are you with me so far? Think of John 10. I, I did say this at Kingdom Business Advance. There's this guy called Jamie Winship. Have you, have you, have you, have you shared that thing with him? This Jamie Winship was a policeman in the Chicago Police Department. He became chief of police. Then he became a CIA agent, CIA agent in the Middle East. And now he's a pastor leading a church. Okay? This is what he got saved, and he had a revelation of John chapter 10. The Lord is my shepherd. No, no, John chapter 10. I am the, I am the shepherd. And you are my sheep. I know my sheep, and my sheep know me. And the voice of a stranger that I'll not follow. I'm the gate. You come in, you got passed through me. I lay my life. You know the whole John 10. So he reckons Christianity, that's it. Jesus is my shepherd. I'm his sheep. This is my identity. He leads me. I follow him. Happy? 
Then he takes you to um, Hebrews chapter 4 and verses 19. And I'll, and I'll read it for you. And he says the, it says this there, uh, Hebrews chapter 4, uh, verse 12, I think it is. Mm. Yeah. So, Jesus says, you are my sheep and you hear my voice. Okay, so when the shepherd speaks, what are you hearing? The word, the voice of the shepherd. Am I right? Happy with that? And it's, it's every sheep's ability. It's not the... It's not the pastors or the deacons or the elders or every sheep can hear God's voice and be followed, follow the shepherd, right? So now, then he connects that thought to this thought in Hebrews 4, verse 12. For the word of God is sharp and living and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even dividing between soul and spirit, joints and marrows. It judges the thoughts and the attitudes of our heart. Okay, so that's what God's word does. It can cut through all the nonsense and it can get to the point of an issue. Yeah? Okay? That's what the word of the shepherd does. It brings clarity in confusion. You don't know where to go. You don't know what to do in your business, with your children, with your wife, in different circumstances. What do you need? You need the voice of the, the shepherd. You need the voice of your chief shepherd to come in and say, this is the way, walk in it. You happy with that? Now look at verse 13. Remember the word. So what is backing the word of the shepherd? What is backing the word of God? Look at this. Nothing in all creation is hidden from God's sight. Everything is uncovered and laid bare before the eyes of him to whom we must give an account. Now our problem is we read that, that verse in fear. Because we read, oh, flip, we're going to have to give an account. But it's that, that's, that's reading it religiously and that's re reading it fear-based. And God does not work with fear. He doesn't want us to be ruled by fear. He wants us to be ruled by faith and Him. So flick it around. Watch here. The Good Shepherd's word and His voice that leads you is backed by this five attributes of God. It says that nothing in all creation is hidden from God's sight. That speaks that God is omniscient, which, which means God is all-knowing. Am I right? Okay? God is also omnipresent. So for those of you that do business all around Africa, all around the world, God is in Uganda, God is in Kenya, God is in China, God is in Australia, God is in New Zealand, God is in America. God is, He's everywhere in every place where your market and your product is. Not only is he there, but he knows what's going on there. Omniscient. Okay? He's also so omniscient, omnipotent, all-powerful. He's omnipresent. Uh, yeah. No, so that's the as I say omnipresent. Okay? He's there. Omnipotent. He's all-powerful. Nothing limits his power. Okay? He's eternal, which means he lives outside of time. Okay? So God... He's already in tomorrow and next week and next month and next year. He already knows what the goal's going to do. He already knows who's going to be the next president. He's got all of that stuff, okay, sorted. And God is love. These are the five things that makes God God. Now you and me have that being as our shepherd and as our father. And he gives you his word. So in other words, the shepherd's leading of you, guiding of you, 
directing of you is based on perfect knowledge, perfect presence, perfect understanding of local conditions. It's coming with a heart of love and with eternity in mind. This is Jamie Winship, understanding of life. So he gets saved. He realizes his identity as a son of God. Are you with me? And the kingdom of God. And he asks God, can I bring this into my job? The Lord says, of course. Because you're a priest, and I mean a saint, and a representative of my kingdom, you bring my kingdom wherever you go. So, they, so he just tells you now, in the, and I'll send you the video, it's a 15-minute video, and I want to tell you, if you, you need to watch it. It will inspire you like you don't have any understanding. But he's got this kidnapping case. Kid gets kidnapped, comes to the parents. He does the cardinal sin. He says, I guarantee you, we're going to find your kid. He walks away, his partner says, what the hell have you just done? He says, I know, can you believe it? What an idiot. But man, I was overwhelmed with compassion for them. So his partner says, do your thing. So what's his thing? Go and pray. So now he goes and prays. God, I'm sorry. Your will have overwhelmed me. And Lord, I think it was a statement of faith, but flip, you know. So he's praying. So now they've caught, they've made, they've made a perimeter, hey? They've made a perimeter and he's praying. His partner's driving around and he's like, Jesus, help us. This car drives past. God says to him, stop the car. He jumps out. He gets a sick feeling in his stomach. He stops the car, pulls the car over, says, open the boot. Kids in the boot. Kids in the boot. I don't have time to tell you the rest of the story. But he tells you story of the story of the story. How God, he prays, he asks God, he gets things. Yeah, he goes on that. The CIA agent comes to interview him for the CIA job. He's got his whole case file. He says, we've been watching you for years. We cannot believe your case history. You've cracked cases the FBI couldn't crack. So I want to understand your processes. I want to understand how you get here. I want to see, I want to get in your head. Exactly what you, he leans back and he says, you're not going to like it. (laughs) You're not going to like it. So they say, okay, tell us about the Chinese drug lords. Wow, that's an interesting case. We were staking out the place and we knew the whole family. And um, the one day I was at the McDonald's getting some chow. The wife walks in. And I talk to her. I lead her to Jesus. She gets saved. She gives me his books. He cracked the whole case. <laughs> but, but these are not isolated events. It's... You've got to watch it, guys. Are you with me? Because, you know what I love it? Because it's not a pastor. He's a pastor now. But... He became the policeman of the year. became detective of the year. He became chief of police. And, and he, all he tells you is two things. I'm a sheep and I've got a shepherd whose word knows everything. And I follow that. Isn't that amazing? But he said this, I've devoted my life to honing my ear to hear and my eyes to see. Now listen, <laughs> this is amazing. In, in, in Isaiah chapter 11, it says of Jesus, He will not judge, 
by what he sees with his eyes or what he hears with his ears. But with righteousness, righteousness, when you rule in righteousness, and the fear of the Lord, he says, but with righteousness and justice, he'll give decisions for the poor and the needy of the land. Okay, and that, in that context, it's speaking about the sevenfold spirit of God. And the last manifestation is the fear of the Lord. This attitude of acknowledging your entire dependence on God for everything, and apart from you, you can do nothing. You happy with that? What time are we finishing here, Gary? Quarter to, okay, 15 minutes. Are you with me so far, guys? Okay, you know what I love? Jesus says this. He's, uh, the, 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 the disciples come back and they've seen demons cast out. They've seen people healed. They've seen the kingdom of God break out. And Jesus is over, he's over, he's, he's, he's full of joy. And he says, Jesus, full of the joy, says, I thank and praise you, Father, that you have hidden these things from the wise and the learned and you've revealed them to the little children. There's something about becoming not childish. God doesn't want childish men. But he wants childlike. Where, where, you know, because a child, a child that really trusts their father and knows their father's good will never doubt their father's word. Am I right? And that's what Jesus was referring to. So now, let's go to David and we're going to go to 1 Chronicles 6, sorry, 2, I think it's 1 Chronicles 16. Let me just check my notes here. 1 Chronicles 16. Um... Sorry, 1 Chronicles 14. 1 Chronicles 14. All right. So, 1 Chronicles 14, just a bit of context. David has become, he's been made king of Israel. He's been chased by Saul all those years. He's killed Goliath. But now he's been made king. And he's not just king of the two tribes. He's now king of all the tribes of Israel. Okay, he's about 37. He was king of the two tribes at 30. He's now 37. And uh, we pick the story up in 1 Chronicles 14, verse 1. Listen to this. Now, keeping in mind what we've just heard, he, he, he understood the last words. He was, a, he was Israel singing of songs. He, was, he knew he was a shepherd, all of that stuff. Now, Hiram, king of Tyre, sent messengers to David, along with cedar logs, stonemasons, and carpenters, to build a palace for him. This is amazing. Who's building this palace for David? Huh? A pagan king, the king of Tyre. Is he building his own palace? No. He has another king gifting him a palace. Okay? Is he making his own plan? Is he designing his own palace? Is he striving? Nothing. The king of Hiram is giving him a palace. This event. The Lord moving King Hiram to build David a palace is extremely significant. It reveals to David God's goodness, God's kindness, God's love, and God's favor towards David. David realizes this. He realizes that Jesus is his source. He realizes that God is his rock. And it causes David to live in the fear of the Lord and to seek God's will and God's guidance in everything. The Bible says it's the goodness and it's the kindness of God that brings us to repentance. Am I right? It's like, guys, this David just was absolutely convinced that God digged him and loved him and was for him. And you need to be convinced of that. You need to, he says in, I think it's Psalm 
86, it says, Give me a sign of your goodness that my enemies may see it and be put to shame. This, temp- this palace being built for David, it's a sign of God's goodness to him. Amen? Now look at verse 2. And David knew that the Lord had established him as king over Israel. And that his kingdom had been exalted, highly exalted, for the sake of his people Israel. This act was kind of like a crowning act and God's endorsement on David. Because remember, David never grasped for the kingdom. David had an opportunity to kill Saul. He never killed him. He never grasped. He waited for God to give it to him and to establish him as king. Because David knew this. If I make myself king, then I need to keep myself as king. But if God makes me as king, he will keep me as king. Why? Because he knew the sheep and the shepherd. He knew the shepherd's job was to provide for and take care of the sheep. And the sheep didn't have to worry about anything. They, all they had to do was follow the voice of the shepherd. And the shepherd would lead them to the river, to the green grass, to the quiet waters, to the green, to the green pastures there. They could lie down. The shepherd would show them. The shepherd would protect them. The shepherd would keep them safe. And David realizes this. Listen, God has promised me I'm going to be king. I'm going to just follow him. I'm not going to grasp. I'm not going to take it. In his good time, he's going to give it to me. I'm just going to keep on obeying him. Isn't that amazing? Hey? So, so David knew that the Lord had established him as king. And he had exalted his kingdom, highly exalted his kingdom. Why? For the sake of his people Israel. Now this is interesting. Is the his people there? His people, God's people, Israel? Or is it his people, David's people, Israel? Are you with me? No, it's both. They are God's people first and foremost. But they are also, God has made David responsible for them. Am I right? He's their, he's their shepherd king. And so, this is what you've got to understand. In everything that God calls you to do, whatever that thing is, it's your thing, but it's your thing under God. And God is the senior partner. And you want God to be your senior partner. Because he's a little bit bigger and better than you, like I displayed with his five attributes. Isn't that amazing? And understand this, God exalted David for the sake of his people, Israel. God gives you things, guys, for you to enjoy. But it's for the sake of him and his people. David was an unselfish king. Am I right? And he used the kingdom and the authority for the sake of the people Israel and to the glory of God. And when you live like that, God can bless you. Because you are not possessed by your possessions. And you're not chasing those things. Those, you're not chasing goodness. You're not chasing love. You're not chasing that. They're chasing you. Because you're chasing the good shepherd. Can you see the difference? If you think about it, we don't, what's our problem with prime ministers and, and, and ministers and presidents and kings and all of these things that are corrupt and selfish? Our problem is that they have no fear of God who gave them their position of authority and they have no care for the people that they're supposed to be shepherding. And they're in it for selfish gain. That's our problem. Then you're not like a cloud this morning. You're like a thunderstorm morning. You know, you wake up, it's thunderstorming, it's raining, it's cold. All you want to do is flip and get back into bed. And you, you wake up in the morning and there's been no 
rain and there's smog and the grass is brown and you're going to breathe in this air, you're like, yes. That's what it's like when you've been led by the wrong guys. But when you've got a king, when you've got a man that wants to, has got a heart for God and a heart for the people that he represents and he's ruling in the fear of God. You get up in the morning, you want to live. You inspire people. Are you with me? Now, I want to read this next story because this is how David did it. So what happens is, verse 8, same chapter. When the Philistines heard that David had been anointed king over Israel, they went up in full force to search for him. Interesting, eh? Hiram makes a pact with him because he realizes this guy is God's anointed. The Philistines, idiots, they think, hey, we're going to try and take this guy out. (laughs) Don't be threatened, my friend, by other men. Good men. When you find a man like David, build the palace for him. Now, you understand what I'm saying? Make friends with the guy, but align your heart with him. Learn from him and let him learn from you. Don't compete. Complete. You understand? Complete one another, my friends. You're not in a competition with one another. Okay? You're following the good shepherd together. Inspire one another and complete one another in this task of being the sheep that God called you to be. Now, the Philistines had come up to and raided the valley of Rephaim. Verse 10. This is the absolute key. So David inquired of God. Shall I go up and attack the Philistines? Will you hand them over to me? My friend, I want to ask you. I'm going to beg you. This Jamie Winship says, ask God about everything all the time. It's the absolute key to hearing the shepherd's voice. Don't presume on anything. And just ask God about everything. I said this to the guys last night. Listen to this. Short prayers are long enough. Business guys, get into this habit of praying 30 to 40 to 50 to 60 times a day. But it's like this. As you go into a meeting, under your breath, God, just help me in this meeting. Lord, I need wisdom here. Lord, show me. Just that simple. God honors those that honor him. Are you with me? If you look at Jesus' prayers, be healed. Stretch forth your arm. Get up and walk. They're short prayers. And in fact, the Bible tells us, don't think like the pagans that you'll be heard because you're many words and you keep on babbling. Huh? You have not because you ask not. David just got this. How do I follow the shepherd? I hear his voice. How do I hear his voice? I ask him. Happy? The Lord answered him, Go, I will hand them over to you. So David and his men went up to Baal-perazim, and there he defeated them. Now, I'm going to read it to you in the NLT. Listen to what it says in the NLT. I love this in the NLT. Um, There. So David and his troops went up to Baal-perazim and defeated the Philistines there. God did it! David exclaimed. Who defeated the Philistines there? No, David and his men. That's what it says. David and his men defeated the Philistines. But what does David say? God did it. Who's getting the glory? Who's getting the honor? The Lord. Okay? Now watch here. 
Here comes the humility. He used me to burst through my enemies like a raging flood. Baalperism means God of the breakthrough. But David has got no illusions about who's in charge here, who's the shepherd, who's doing the big fighting and who's doing the little fighting. He knows, yes, I'm going to go and do it on the ground. But God is over me, giving me the victory. Whoa! God did it. He used me. Who killed Goliath? David and his sling. But who did it? God did it. Did you understand? This is learning to live in the fear of the Lord. It's an attitude that acknowledges one's entire dependence on God for everything and apart from you can nothing. But it also acknowledges this, that in this divine partnership, God does nothing on earth except through people. Are you with me? But those people can do nothing of eternal significance except with his anointing. So he's exalted by God, the man exalted by God, the anointed by God. This is freedom. This is amazing when, you, when, when you've got faith and courage to do stuff in God, but you are so dependent on God and you're living in the fear of God that there's a humility that comes. Is it making sense to you guys? And the whole world is looking for guys like this. Amazing. So they named that place Baal Perism, which means the Lord who breaks through, who bursts through. The Philistines abandoned their gods there, and David gave orders to burn them. Verse 13. After a while, the Philistines returned and raided the valley again. Now, this is amazing, guys. How many times have you done this? God works in a way, and then that same thing comes back, and you're like, oh, I know what to do here. Hey, I've been in this movie. Yes? You don't pray. You, do, you presume, hey, Lord, watch me. You know, I'm such a good, like, hey, I've, I, I, hey, hey, Lord, you know, hey, I've got this one. Don't worry. Because I've been in this movie. Let me show you how good I am. You understand? Now, listen, in one sense, it's okay because you want to please the Father. But what you've got to learn is you can only please the Father if you work with the Father. And the Father, listen to me carefully now, the Father does not want you to work for Him. God wants you to do nothing for Him. He only wants you to work with Him. And how do you work with Him? You ask Him. So check at this. Once again, say once again. David asked God what to do. Do not attack them straight on, God said. Instead, circle around behind them and attack them near the poplar trees. When you hear the sound of marching feet in the trees, tops of the trees, go out and attack. This will be a signal that God is moving ahead of you and will strike down the Philistine army. No. Now watch here. This is, I don't, this is what I think happened. The Bible says that the, the first time the Philistines came out to David in full force, that means I think that they put their best warriors in front and they took him head on. And so he took them head on and he smashed them head on. So now the Philistines do a debriefing. Okay, we're gonna we're gonna take even the more strongest warriors. He came at us hard, we're gonna go ten times harder from the front. So God says to him, Hey put, don't take them head on. Encircle around the back. And start to nail all the weaklings and take them out. And then those big strong oaks, they're going to get a hun. Their pants are going to get brown. Okay? And the broek will get 
And then they're going to melt with fear and you'll take them out. But just so you know, this is always a divine partnership. Just wait. When you hear the trees rustling, then you know my army's moving ahead of you. Yes, you guys. Hey, in business, it's always about, not, it's not just about doing the right thing, but it's about doing the right thing at the right time with the right people in the right way. Am I right? It's so important. Where do you get that? The throne room from your dad. When, okay, so listen to this. So David did as God commanded. They attacked the Philistine army and destroyed them all the way to Ibn Giza. Verse 17. What's the result of this? So David's fame spread everywhere. The Lord God caused all the nations to fear David. When you live in the fear of the Lord, God causes all things and people fear you. Now, you don't want to be feared. Do you understand by that? But there's a sense of authority that comes. There's a sense of, this is a man. Last thought and I'm done. Have you ever connected this? David goes to the prophet and he says, here am I living in this palace. And God's ark is living in a tent. I want to build a house for that, for him. I get goosebumps when I tell you this. Watch out, watch out. God's goodness to David, he builds him a house. God, David receives it. He does, gets these victories in choirs of God. He becomes wealthy. Then he's sitting in his palace and he thinks, God, you've been so good to me. How can I live in this? And you're, you're in a tent. God, I want to build a palace. For, I want to build it. I want to build. You built me a palace. I want to build you a temple. Then God says, then he, then, he's, then, then he tells the prophet, and then Nathan says, do it. Then God says to him, no, no, don't do it. I haven't called him to build it, but his son will build it. So then what David does is he amasses all of the stuff to do it, right? And he puts all the plans in place. But he doesn't do it because he knows, he knows the limits of what God has called him to do. But because of his heart, God says to him, hey, never have I asked a king or anyone to build me a palace. But I'm so stoked that you, my son, are so worried about me. I'll tell you what I'm going to do for you now. Now I'm promising you a dynasty of kings. You will not fail to have a man on the throne. And one of your descendants will rule forever. And God says, now the spiritual kicks in. So there's this physical temple, physical palace, physical temple. Faithful with the little. God sees that heart. Then he says, wow, God, I want to look after your kingdom. I want to look after your temple. Can I build this for you? God says, no, I don't want you to build it for me. But I'll tell you what I'm going to do. Because you're such an awesome guy and you've got a heart for me, I'm going to give you a dynasty of kings. Dynasty means a lineage of kings. The Bible says this, that kings will come from your loins. When you become a man after God's own heart, when you have got this heart and you live in the fear of the Lord and you rule in the fear of the Lord and you are a worshiper, a singer of Israel's songs, when you're a son of Jesse, when you're a son of your, of your earthly father, when you're a son of this house and when you're a son of God, my friends, there's no end to what God can do with you. Isn't this amazing? Can you see how the goodness of God just goes, boop, 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 boop. And, but it works the opposite way. Well, King Saul, you doubt God, you distrust God, you disobey God, you end up going to consult a witch. 
What do you want to do? Can I pray for you? Yes. Why don't you stand? And if you're comfortable, just, just raise your hands. Father, what a blessing. What a blessing. Lord Jesus, you are the fountain of life. In your light, we see light. I thank you that you're my shepherd. And that I'm your sheep. And Lord, I want to pray for myself even this morning and these great men in this great church that you've planted here. Father, please teach us to be sheep. To be sheep. First and foremost, teach us to follow you, our good shepherd. And Lord, as we experience your goodness, as we experience your shepherding, as we experience your water and your green pasture and your protection, raise us up to be great shepherds of your sheep that you've entrusted to us in our businesses, in our families, in our ministries, wherever we find ourselves. God, help us. The way that you shepherded us, the way that you treat us, help us to treat others. Lord, give us signs of your goodness that our enemies may see it and be put to shame. I just pray for your peace and your anointing and your favor to rest upon these men. I come against fear, stress, and anxiety in Jesus' name. And I pray for the perfect love of God that casts out fear to replace them. And Lord, just like you empowered David to, you know guys, I just feel this, for some of you, you're living under Saul. And God is busy forming your character. And it's, it really needs you to, to fear God, not to take Saul out. But God says, trust me, allow me to use Saul to shape you. Because one day you will be king. And you'll know the king you don't want to be. And you'll know the king you want to be like. For others of you, you've gone through that process. And God says to you, just remember to be a good king. Remember to inquire of me. Remember to walk with me. That's what I've taught you in private. I want you to do in public. Help us, Lord. Teach us to live in the fear of you. We want to be your trees of life. We want to be your rivers of life. And we want to be your light to the world. And we can do this only in your strength. In Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for joining us for today's message. Don't forget to check out our website or visit City on a Hill International on Instagram or Facebook for our updates, celebration times, or ways you can get involved. We are also streaming our message on Facebook Live, so make sure you join us or share the post. Thanks again for checking out our podcast. We'll see you soon.